Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. And welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are talking about the psychology of sales. And a little people uh, out there don't know this, but I started in this company in sales and I was not great at it. So I, uh, I'm gonna, I've got a lot to learn from this conversation, which is good. Anytime you talk about sales, I understand the importance. It moves the needle in your company. If you're not making sales, you're not there making is, money. There's no company. Period. There's no company. But man, you talk about wanting to see people squirm. I see it in your events all the time. They want to do everything but. but the sale. Is that just their own personal psychology? Where does that come from? I, I, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing. But I think that f- from a foundational aspect, nobody wants to be rejected. Rejection is one of the worst experiences you can have in your life. And if you're in sales, you spend most of your life getting rejected. Because there will always be more people that say no than say yes, right? Now, you can set up your company so that works a little bit different. But when you're first starting, you're not only learning the skill, but you're also learning what's not working much faster than what is working. So people have that experience. Here's another thing. It's directly tied to their well-being, their financial well-being. Sure. If I'm not making sales and I'm on the phone all day long trying and it's not happening, I'm it psychologically screws with your head because it's like, I have got to make sales. If you're just starting your business and you're not getting there, like there's so many different aspects that I think, especially poor sales conversations or poor sales results, attack a person psychologically. It's amazing that anybody ever gets past it in order to get really, really great at it. But the, the truth is, is that it's not as difficult as you would think to get really good at it. You have to, you definitely, I do think some people are more wired for it than others, because if you're a person that has really gotten past the need for acceptance, if you don't have real issues dealing with rejection, you probably won't have issues making sales calls, which will be great because that will give you the time that you need to get good at it instead of feeling bad about yourself because you're not getting good at it. Yeah. And there's definitely a process to it. And it is a major skill set that you can learn it. Actually, you will learn yes. it, but you've got to be willing to look inside first at what's going on because I'll use myself as a prime example. I hate rejection, right? So, I mean, not a lot of people out there are like, yay, rejection, but they, <laughs> they hate rejection to the point where it really would throw me off to the point where I wouldn't even want to get on a conversation. I would pray for that. Right voicemail or whatever came up that they didn't answer the phone. It was because I was afraid, A, I talk too much. Like, and we'll get into that here in a moment because that's a big tenet, the, a lot of uncomfortable silence. But it was also getting to the point of you got to go through a lot more no's to get to those yeah. yeses. And I remember one thing that you said, and I didn't ask for your help at the time, which led to my short stint as a salesperson in the company. It is the idea that sales is not something you do to someone. It's something you do for them. You're offering up a service. And one of the interesting things from the episode that you talked about was, you know, you're not trying to get something, someone to buy something from you. You might think that's what it is. Really, you're getting them to a place of clarity and either a yes or a no. And even though no doesn't help your bottom line, that no helps that person. And you can feel good knowing that you help that person and karmically that's going to come back to you. Wouldn't you agree? I 100% agree with that. Yeah, that's, and that shift right there that you're doing it for them, not to them, 
I think it's extremely powerful. Yes. yes. That would have helped me early on, it, I it, think. It, yeah. it, it does. It, so it shifts the whole position because I think that most people, if you, if you take the average person when they're growing up, they're not hearing positive things about salespeople. Oh, not right? at all. If you think about um, all the different ways that salespeople come into a person's life, it is to take money from you. It is to get you to buy something that you don't want. They have to fill a quota. They're the slimy, scabby salesperson. Yeah. You know, n- nobody what is like, they're so happy when the door-to-door salesman shows up at the door. You know, you've got, first of all, you have re- religious people, like the Jehovah Witnesses will come to the door. You have vacuum cleaner salesmen that will come to the door. Used to be have the pots and pans guy that would come to yeah. the door. The real famous one, this is one that I think that most people do like in a way, is when the Girl Scouts come to the door. Oh, 100%. Right? That one we liked. More Thin Mints, please. That one we liked, right? <laughs> but it, but for the most part, when when you know that you're going to have to deal with a salesperson, most people don't even want to deal with a salesperson. One of the worst experiences in the world is going to buy a car. Right? They keep you captive for an entire freaking day with the whole idea of just trying to sell you more, 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 right. more, more. It's a horrible experience. For people, you would think the car industry would change their approach right. at some point. I mean, some do, but the, the uh, so many things. I'll t- you want to hear about a bad sales experience I had? Absolutely, we do. When I got out of the when I got out of the army, uh, I needed to buy a car because I had sold my car when I went in. I didn't have no use for a car, so when I came out, I needed to buy a car. And I remember I was sitting um, at my mom's house with with my stepdad, and I was talking about buying a car. And he says, "Well, why don't you go to this place in town?" He's like, I know a guy there. Somebody else bought a car there or whatever. He says, I'll go with you if, you if you want, right? So I I was very aware that I was one of those people that if I'm – because I didn't like to say no to people, a salesperson could pressure me into doing something that I didn't want to do, right? So he's like, I'll, I'll go with you, right? So we go down there, and I'm looking at this car, and of course – you know, I'm a young guy, right? This is a really cool car. And I'm thinking about how much I want this car, but I also know that it's not in my budget, right? It's outside of my, it's outside of my sure. budget. And I'm struggling. I'm struggling with it. And my stepdad's not saying, no, don't do this. He's like, it's, you know, it's up to you. I said, well, I need to talk to the guy about how much this stuff will be. Now, back then, you had to give them some money before they would have the conversation with you. Oh, Wow. Yeah, it was, and I didn't know this, right? He said, you got to give the guy like 50 bucks to show him you're serious. And I said to the guy, I'm, I didn't want to, like 50 bucks was a lot of money to me back yeah, then. Yeah, he's not giving it back to you if the conversation goes south. Well, this, so this is, this, is, <laughs> this is the thing, right? That's what I said. And he said, of course I'll give it back to you, right? And, but I didn't believe him. No. I thought there's something about this that is, that is just shit. Right, right. Because every car I had bought prior to this was just a used car that I would pay cash for. You know, that I would make out of my little job that I was working as a teenager, um, but not like a, not like a big time car type deal. Yeah, right? there's no financing involved. The guy, with those other ones. the guy, literally, I said, "Listen, look, I'll give you the money, but if I don't buy this, I want my fifty bucks back." Right? And he's like, "What do you want to hold my watch?" Right. I'll never forget this, right? So I'm sitting there. He's trying like hell to sell me. I'm not in my yes. And I said, look, I just got off work. I, and I literally did. I was, I used to, this is when I was work. I worked at a warehouse when I first came back from, from the army. So I was like in sweaty clothes and, you know, I was a laborer type thing. I said, let me go home, have some dinner, take a shower, 
come back and, and let me, I need to think about this. I just need to sit and think about this, right? What kind of a commitment do I really want to take on for myself? So he's like, okay, go ahead, come back. So I didn't take my stepdad back with me when I went. Oh, man. And on the way there, I decided I didn't want the car. I go in, sit down with the guy, and I tell him, you know what? I, I changed my mind. I already put the fucking order in. I'm like, oh, I didn't tell you to put the order in. Wow. I said, I told you I wanted to go home and think about this. I said, can I please have my 50 bucks back? So this guy starts calling me every name sure. in the book. And, and I said, listen, I want my 50 bucks back. He had these two goons come in, like big dudes, right? And they're ready to like beat the shit out of me and throw me out. They're like, get the fuck out of here now. Don't you ever come back in here, you piece of shit. And I was like... It was one of the, I'm young. I didn't have any right. experience. And I'm floored. I'm like, holy, like, I'm really learning, like, life lessons mm -hmm. here, you know. But that was a horrible experience around sales. And I think that people have all different kinds of experiences, maybe not necessarily that extreme, but people do have experiences. Plus, they also see other people. You know, how about when, when you're growing up and somebody says, ah, the sales guy screwed me and they said it was going to be this sure. and I got screwed or I paid too much or he gouged me or whatever. We get so much negative information around salespeople with probably no positive. You're or, right. You know, so it, it makes total sense that the average person, when they find out that they have to do sales, they run from it because they've never heard anything good about it. And of course, most people want to be good people. They don't want to be stealing for somebody or gouging them or forcing them to do something that they don't want. Just from every value level you can imagine, it's already installed in them that this is not a good thing. That's why when you say this is something you do for them, not to them, if you really take that in, it totally changes the perception of what you're doing in a sales conversation. And if you can get that far, you can start to really learn how you're actually doing a service to a person as long as you're not coming from this place of, I have to make this sale, I have to make this sale, which is the worst because it makes you miserable. You never make as many sales as you want. The sales that you would make when you do that are high-pressure emotional sales, which always turn into a bad customer client experience, and it's not what you want to build a business on. Yeah, and when you're first starting out, that's exactly what you're doing. You're pressing. Like, you yes. you, you got a no there, so the next one has to be a yes, and that one becomes a no because you showed up to the call with the I need a yes energy. It does. And it just keeps it's you know, perpetuating. It's horrible. Yeah. It's really bad. Yeah, we all have, we all have had horrible sales, you know, situations, but it's being on the other side of it. You really have to be mindful about the energy you bring to your call. And I think that's what you talked about in the episode was, you know, every single thing you say, every noise you make, the body language you bring right. in causes a physical reaction in that person who's a prospective client. Now, most of the time, you know, we're, we've got some warm leads we're dealing with, a lot of times it could be just a regular old cold call. And I'm sure there's could different be. scenarios that go along with that. But, you know, how does a person begin to implement these strategies to know, like, how to control your your sounds and your fillers and your um-hums and your nods? Like, what do you do to implement those strategies? It's It seems like it would be easy to just shut up. Just, you've said it before. Shut the fuck up. It's not easy. Zip it. How do you get to that place of... I need to do this. You have to train yourself. So train. I recommend that people start doing it in general conversations that they have, practicing it, right? Because to sit there and be quiet is so uncomfortable for most people in a conversation. But if you understand the reason, which is that we're all self-conscious as hell, 
we use our voice and conversation to mask our own insecurities. If I'm sitting here very, very quiet and I'm not saying anything, my mind has no defense because now I'm becoming very self-conscious of me and what you think of me and what might be going on. And it causes me to have an, an anxious response which I, then I start making noises of some kind or shifting in my seat or, you know, saying things like, I don't even know why I'm saying them. I, when I listen to people's, um, uh, like for top clients, I'll listen to their, their sales conversations and the things that they'll talk about and do on the phone, it's, it's outrageous where they'll start going. And those are designed to get the person to like them, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to come to your level and we're going to have a conversation about, you know, about the weather. Well, it, not necessarily. No, okay. I think it's actually more just such a nervous response. It's nervous energy misdirected, right? Sure. It's nervous talk, you know, instead of being cool and calm and really direct and understanding that, this conversation is is a tool. It has a purpose. We're trying to come to a uh, an outcome that works for both people here instead of just as general banter back and forth. But what a person has, what does this person think of me? I don't want to get a no. I have to make the sale. How am I going to pay the rent? Could I get fired from my job because I'm not hitting my quota? When they have all of that nervous energy in them, it comes out like, yeah, yeah, I was just, you know, feeding the cat or, you know, the weather, it's raining or I have to go do this or the, or, or they, or even worse, they start telling the person before they know anything about them, all about their product or service. When you buy this, it'll be great. And it does all these things. Oh, and I've helped so many people do this. It's like, it gets in, it gets insane, but it is totally a skill a person can learn. Yeah. I have a feeling you've heard some things. <laughs> you know, in the years that you've been doing this, because you are, yeah. you are, you've gotten to a place where you mastered sales and that was basically through repetition. I mean, you talked on this podcast numerous times about the activity that you were given from a past mentor to make a hundred sales calls, not just dial a hundred no, numbers, conversations. talk to a hundred people. And days. over time, I can just imagine you sitting there having the call. It results in a no, because you hear more no's than yeses, stopping, taking a moment to write down maybe where the conversation broke down and really doing a study of it. Because if you just roll right into the next call, guess what? You're going to get another no. You've got to be able to learn it. Right. And that skill comes through constantly going over And it. this was a skill that nobody else taught me. I was, at the time, I was reading as many different sales books as I could get, and they all talked about these processes. You have to build rapport and you have to do this and you have to do that. And there was something about it that just seemed off to me. And here's what it was. All of those sales things are designed to try to get somebody to a yes. That's what they're designed to do. They're trying to turn a no into a yes. And I thought, that's not, like if you can't do this ethically, why do it at all? Because right. I would never feel good in a place where I was forcing people to try to say yes to something. So I started really thinking about it. Like, what is this conversation? Really? Like, what is it? It's about educating somebody and finding out if there's a need or a desire for the product or service and then getting them to a yes or a no. It's not just getting them to a yes. So then I started asking myself, what would that conversation actually look like? And just like you suggested, I used to sit there with a yellow legal pad. And when the sales call would go wrong, I would write down what was the last thing? Where did it go off the rails? And I started noticing something. First thing I noticed was that I was telling constantly, telling a person why they should do this, telling a person why they should buy this, uh, what would happen, all these different people, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, when you tell someone 
what does it cause their mind to do? Because I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting the answers that I wanted to hear, right? Well, when I tell somebody something, they probably get defensive. They probably get a bit resistant. And they're going to tell me whatever is foremost in their mind. So I thought, okay, if I want the person to get to a yes or a no, should I tell them something or should I ask them something? Because if I ask them, they're going to volunteer the information and they're going to tell me the truth. So that's that's where my process, which, which we call the Compassionate Conversion Sales Program, that's where my process actually started. It was like, okay, I want to find out first and foremost, does this person what does this person really want? Is that a match between what my product or service guarantees that they can get, right? That has to be a match to even continue the conversation. What else do I want to know? I want to know, is there any reason that would be detrimental to the person if they didn't buy or use the service? Like, how important is it in this person's life, right? Is there is there a real serious reason why they need to do it and why they need to do it now? And everything that I kept going with, I was like, these aren't statements, T. These are questions. Sure. Because I need to know what's really going on in this person. And here's another thing. If this person feels at any moment that I'm trying to sell them something, they're not going to tell me the truth. What happens when they don't tell me the truth? What does a salesperson do? Tell me how to answer this objection. Well, how do you know it's even a real objection? Because I also found out that most people have a very difficult time saying no to someone, which floored me. Right. But then I realized, oh, I have a hard time saying no to someone too. Like it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Which is impressive. You went back to the goons at the auto dealership up there in Chicagoland and said, no, I'm not in. I did. Because more often than not, I would have, buyer's remorse would have come in. I would have said, I would have ended up by myself. Nobody's there to back me up. I would have said yes. Then I would have been regretting it for months, years beyond. But here's the truth. If I'm honest with myself, before I went home to have dinner, I already knew it was a You no. had made the decision. I just had that. to like get in comfortable in my body to actually come back and do sure. it. Had I said it right from the very beginning, I might have gotten my 50 bucks back, right? Um, but it's true. We do have a hard time saying no. Like I, I sign up for more shit, believe it or not, through emails or phone calls than I probably normally wouldn't do, but I just can't say no to people. There That's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Yes. It's very dangerous. Oh my God. The other thing is, I mean, well, well, I don't want to go down a whole rabbit yeah, hole yeah, totally. again, but you're right. Your statement is very, is very correct because you become a puppet for the outside world then, right? You're an easy mark for, for, for anybody. And it may not mean anything when you're buying something that just costs a few bucks, but if you don't develop the ability to do that, if somebody ever hits you with something that's serious and you can't say no to it, you could end up giving up something you really don't want to give up or it yeah. could cause you a lot of damage. But anyway, back back to this, this conversation, I was really realizing that, that this really had very sound psychological principles to it. And that if you understood those principles, 90% of the problem that a person's having on that call is themselves. It's not the other person. It's what you're being or doing on that call that's causing this person to react in such a way that you can't figure out what they want. You can't figure out if they really want it, if they really have the money, if they can pay for it. And that's where a person starts chasing ghosts on the call. Because the other person, the person who's sitting in the in the position of being the buyer, because they can't tell you no, they start making up excuses. I'll call you back. I got to check with my wife. I got to check with my husband. I got to check with the boss. I'm not the person that actually makes the decisions when they are the person that makes the decisions. But they. But what's the problem? The problem for real is they don't feel comfortable in telling you the truth. I want a person comfortable right from the time we make the appointment to be able to say no to me. 
because I'm not I'm not thinking of lack. I have to have this person. I'm thinking I want people that I can really help that really want my help. And if this person says no, there's an abundance of people people to me to go to. I, my business is solid in every area, so that that's not an issue. I'm not short of people on the front end of the company to where every single person that we get to has to be a yes. Yeah, that's you know? why that's why I like love this organization so much is because what you've built it and what you've created as far as a culture is you are you're not looking to drag anybody in because no. you've said numerous times you drag them in, you gotta drag them around, and that's not who you want. There's no heavy-handed sales tactics that happen with your company because no. It's just more work on your end of things, trying to reconvince them that, you know, they need you. You know, you you don't need them as much as they need you. And if it's a no, God bless you. That's what we want. We are in the business of getting you clear. And that's coming from a place of we want what's best for you and we want to get you to a yes or a no. And no's are every bit as impactful as the yeses are for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Because at least they know and you know that it's a clean break. Right. The other thing is, is that ultimately you want the best for that potential client. Totally. So if it's a no here, it'll be a yes somewhere else for that yes. person. But that's what the person needs to better their life or, or get them a better product or one that more suits their needs. Yeah. Like there's enough room out there for everybody. Um, but I think that, you know, you're, you're 100% right. I'm also coming from the aspect of, I'm determining whether I want to work with this person or not. Right. Right. Because it's a big commitment. It's a huge commitment. Yeah. And I want to enjoy working with the person that I'm working with. Right. If I'm not enjoying it because of the energies offer, it's not a fit. That's not a good service to a client, you know? Right. But we live in this world. It's like we got to get, 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 get. And we don't understand that that is so off fundamentally. And if we would change the perspective there and understand how the psychology of this works, you'd have more sales than you could possibly imagine in your life. And you'd get good at it, and you would also get rid of the fear of what happens if you don't have a sale. Because you actually know what you're doing to create to create sales in your life. Yeah, you know what I love about the psychology around sales is that this is something that you cannot just rely on reading from a book. Like you can read, there's plenty of great books out there about sales and about how to get to the close and to walk you through it. I get that, but you still need to apply what it is that you're reading. So that's, it reminds me of like on the sideline of an NFL game where in between series you see the offense huddled around and they're looking at still images of every single play from that right. last round and they're learning on the fly. So the, the visual of you with a yellow legal pad writing down, where did it go off? While you're still in the middle of the call, but you know it's going down a yeah. dark road, you get on there and you, in the moment, you're adjusting on the fly. That's why I used to love it when you said in some of your sales seminars where you would actually be there while they're making sales calls and helping them through it and adjusting on the fly. You could take a person over the top just by being around them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it involves just asking questions. I think that was so brilliant. You said an entire sales call should be nothing but questions. Now, in your opinion, is that a preset set of questions that you have written down or are you adjusting and thinking on the fly as things come up? Most of it's preset. Okay. Right? They're the the reason is is because business is business. So it's about what a person wants, what what is the urgency for them to actually buy now? How does the product or service help them? So the, the, the language may be adjusted slightly depending on what your industry is, but the intent is the same, regardless of how it's actually worded, right? 
The only time it may be a little bit different is if, let's say, a person's sales process actually is a long process, meaning let's say a person's buying a house or they're building a building, right? The, the initial sales process should not take all that long once a person has all the information to make a decision because it's not just a yes or no. It's a yes or no based on the facts, right? So let's say a person's going to buy a skyscraper, right? They got to do their due diligence and they got to get all the facts about everything that they're they're purchasing. So it's not just a 20-minute conversation like, you know, does this skyscraper meet your needs or, or whatever? There's more information that has to happen. But all that is is the same expanded sales conversation that I teach people how to do. It's where I feel, where I, it's either nervous energy where people get into trouble or sure. they're trying to get somebody to do something that they don't want to do. And it's like, why would you do that? For, for what reason? But in, in all fairness, most of those sales books that you referenced, that's exactly what they're teaching people how to do. Mm. There are very, very, people say to me all the time, can you recommend a really good sales book for me to read? And it's like, nope, I can't. Because most of the sales books that I have seen, and I'm not saying I haven't come across one that isn't like really, really good, but they're trying to get you to do things to manipulate other individuals. Yeah. And it's like, that's not necessary. But if nobody ever teaches you that it's not necessary and teaches you a way to do it where you're in, you're totally ethical by what you're doing and you're having an ethical conversation, how would you know? How right. would you know? You wouldn't know. Right. You wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing here is that, you know, whenever you're on a sales call, whether it's face-to-face, -face, over Zoom in this day and age, or whether it's on the phone, you've got to be very mindful of how you are showing up in your own energy. And it reminded me of, I'm a huge fan of the the office, and Dwight Schrute, who's the salesman there, he always cranks himself <laughs> some Motley Crue, kickstart my yeah. heart. He's like punching, he's kicking, he's doing all manners of engaging his body before he gets into that sales conversation. I just thought it might be interesting as we close this and wind this down. Was there anything special that you did when you were first starting out to like get into that energy of the sales call, whether it was engaging your body or screaming or yelling or getting hyped? And then has that changed over the years as you matured into this amazing person we see before us? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you've talked about before, like, you know, you talked about screaming, the money's here now. That wasn't the sales conversation. That was just bringing in something. But when you got on that call, what was that like? Well, actually, the, the, the screaming part was training my mind. Like if my mind started to go down doubt, let's say I was sitting, let's say I had to make phone calls today. And I have 10 calls that I have to make and I've got my list. And this person's not there. That person was a no. This person's a no. Two people d didn't answer their phone, right? And my mind starts going down the rabbit hole of, oh, this is never going to happen or, or what? Like I would not permit my mind to go down that hole because I knew how dangerous it is to open your your the door in your mind to doubt. So that's when I would get up. I would change my physiology. I would sure. turn music on. I would stomp through the house. I would I would scream. in Because what I wanted to do was I was changing the way that my mind was thinking on its own, right? Now, I didn't need to do that for sales calls. I needed to. I didn't need to get pumped up for sales calls. It was. It was not something that I really needed to do. But I was very conscious of the energy that I was bringing to, to a call, because I did see if my energy was off just a hair, it could make the difference between you sold something or not. I, and, and that was only in the very beginning. I learned something that was really important. We I didn't get into in this sales training, but it's called a double binding message. Mm -hmm. 
not only are you selling based on what you're saying, but the energy in which you're 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 um, uh, exchanging with another person. If your energy is off because you think you need to make the sale, because you're nervous if you don't make the sale, because you had a fight with your spouse before the call, they're going to pick up on that energy and they're going to react to it just as if you're saying things that you shouldn't be saying, but they won't know why they're doing it. But the end result is the same. You don't have a really good conversation and they don't buy. So that's something that we teach in, in, in our sales programs because yeah. it's quite extensive to actually get into explaining it and how do you overcome it and everything. But the idea is that you have to do something. Even if you just sit and ground yourself, clear your mind, okay, I'm going to make calls. Am I in the right place? I'm focusing on helping a person. This is something I'm doing for them, not to them. Here we go right? And then I check myself throughout the day. Well, not so much anymore because I'm not on the phones every right, day making right, right. sales unless it's like something big. But our salespeople do this yeah. so that they stay in that place of really being of service. And that's the place that you have to come from in order to have a good sales conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating that the wall is up even before a word is exchanged, oh, totally. even before that hello. Because like you said earlier on in this conversation, you've got people who have had nothing but maybe horrible right. sales, you know, situations, conversations in their life. And now immediately you're expected to get on the phone with these people. And if you show up even slightly off, chances are it's not going to end well for you That's in right. that situation. Well, I think that one of the things as we go out with this, your compassionate conversion program that you mentioned uh, briefly in this conversation is something, would that be something you recommend for people to kind of take oh, a yeah. look? Sure. Yeah. yeah and, and I'll link in the show notes to that, but um, it's really interesting because the words compassionate and conversion, you're really coming from a place of, you really just want to help this person. Can you kind of just walk us through a little bit about how that's going to enhance a person's sales psychology? So the idea, because the whole idea of selling doing something for them rather than to them was something that my mentor taught me 25 years ago. And I had never heard that before. But it literally changed the way that I viewed the call. It went from trying to get them to do something to actually going, oh, this is a coaching call, really, when you think about it, right? Because here's a person, what, what do products and services do? They solve a problem sure. for someone. But there's so many questions about the problem. Does the person know that they have a problem? Do they actually want the problem to be solved? How severe is the problem? Is it something that needs to be dealt with today? What could be keeping them from wanting to solve this problem? Could it be money? Could it be time? Could it be uh, a, a, a spouse, a friend, a, an accountant? Like, there's so many factors to this. And I realized no matter what you're selling, you're having an impact on another human being. And the first thing is that we need to understand is that from whatever position they're coming from, if you don't have compassion for who they are as a person and whatever problem they may have, how can you ever help to, to literally do something from an ethical perspective to really help this individual? And this, is, this could be a person selling pencils or this could be major corporate deals. Right. It's the same ideology behind it and you will notice such a shift in your business or your company when the salespeople begin to change this and your sales will skyrocket because you're not you're 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 just not being that greasy person that so many salespeople are taught to be, you know. I get the question, well does that mean that a company shouldn't have quotas? No, it should have quotas, but it should be about your ability to learn the system to be able to do it and are you having enough calls? to be able to hit 
the numbers. That's it. It's not about how many people can you force to buy. So this is about self-improvement versus coercion, right? It's a huge difference. Love it. Yeah, and it's, it's like riding a bike. Once you learn that process, you'll never forget it. No matter what happens in your business, there's always an opportunity right. out there to sell. Once you learn it, you learn it. I love That's that. it. Yeah, this has been absolutely genius. As you, you actually got me thinking a little bit about my experience in sales now, and I feel a little bit bitter about good, it. Thank good. you. I think You're we welcome. got there. You're but this has been great. No Thanks shame. For, no shame. Thanks for coming inside. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.